You're listening to Well Made, a podcast from Lumi about the people and ideas that are shaping our patterns of consumption for the better. I'm your host, Stefan Ango. Reggie James. Hey. Welcome. <laughs> people, uh, I think, know you may- maybe even better by your your handle, Hip City Reg. Um, oh, yeah. Where did that come from, by the way? Hip City Veg? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, so I was in this uh, group in college, and we were, we were having a meeting. And I think, like, the chairman was, like, probably a little high. And he just, like, pointed at me, and he's like, Hip City Veg. Hip City Reg. And I was a freshman, and, like, that was the nickname I got, like, very early on. And it just, it stuck. It just stuck from there. Yeah. It works. Um so, you know, maybe we'll touch on this along the way, but you you write a very good blog newsletter thing on Substack called Product Lost. Yeah. You have a, 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 a startup called Eternal that's somewhere in in the ether, in the process of, uh, you know, going through the beta process and, and getting a lot of uh, feedback, I guess. I, yeah. what, do you have a, a launch on the horizon? Like, what, when do you think you'll be out in, in the public? Yeah. I think this is something I've been meditating on a lot. Like, I think product is like a lot of false starts and you kind of go through these cycles and like, it took us three, four months to get to like an alpha then took us like another three, four months to get to like a private beta. And then another like three months to get to like a public beta. And then we're like, Oh Jesus. Oh Jesus. And then like, we had to pull back a lot and then took us like another three to four months. And so like, you realize like, all right, you're trying to just like, let's say you get 25% right on like the first thing. And then you're like, all right, like let's see if we get it to like forty percent right on the next thing. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. we have to scrap so much, but then you get fifty percent right. And like you're trying to get to something that's like at least eighty percent right. Eighty percent, like that's a B. It can keep living without having to like get completely torn down. So all that to say is I refuse to say a date because you know I don't <laughs> <laughs> Are you a big believer in like first impressions really are super important? Like in life or in product? <laughs> I guess yes. both, yeah, but I guess, mostly yeah, in no, product. I is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think my answer is yes. You know, I think particularly for consumer, one thing that really annoys me is when people tweet something like, "This is what Roblox looked like at launch," and so don't ever think that your product is too early. And it's like, okay, but that was like two thousand like six or whatever on like you know shitty web. Like that is not consumer expectation now like that's that's not how that works and so i really have a belief in first impressions i also just have a belief in like building something that's beautiful it's one thing to understand when things are going to be like rough around the edges but it's another thing to produce something that's simply i don't know i think i look at a lot of consumer products and i just don't think that they're any good at all and people are like oh you know you iterate to them like no that's like a that's like a principle from the get so yeah. Well, it is that tension between how do you define MVP and people kind of debate that of what is the most important <laughs> letter yeah. uh, between like the V and the P, you know. You can make a uh, whole identity around that. <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> like there, I think there are people that like make their a good chunk of their identity around like like <laughs> what an MVP is. And like that's all they, that's all they right. talk about. Like that's their that's- core professional identity. <laughs> Yeah, it, what what does it mean to be viable versus what does it mean to be a product? Um, and mm. and some somehow, I think 
we've gone all the way to like you're gonna you're gonna launch something really crappy out there and just iterate to something good versus maybe you can provide and and, and I'm already framing like I'm already creating a straw man by saying that but yeah. you know I think that that there, there's a and and maybe consumer versus B two B has different um, requirements in that respect. I agree that for sure when you arrive on something that feels polished, even if the functionality is maybe limited, that's such a, a better feeling because you have a, an instant trust of the maker, um, and then you want them to add more to that experience. Right, right. I think that's exactly right. Well, the the other thing you know is like and. Uh, on that point of like consumer versus let's just say like enterprise or like SaaS is when you're building with such a, on the SaaS side, when you're building with such a use case in mind, right? Like there really is a job to be done in a particular way. Mm. And you can really hit those kind of customer conversation cycle product loops. And it's very clear, like what's moving something in the right direction. You know, for us, like, you know, we call ourselves an identity company. So like <laughs> discussing like if a product is making someone feel a certain way, making them think a certain way. And then on top of that, still having like, you know, the trad metrics of like, is this doing the thing that it needs to do in terms of like performance? Like if, if I ask like, what's the minimal viable product for you to start thinking about yourself differently? That's such a bigger question, right? The needs yeah. there, like really, <laughs> it really moves up a certain ladder. And like, those are the type of swings that we're taking. So I think whenever I talk about product, I find it frustrating to consume like product thought from the world. And then I think people find it frustrating to talk to me about product because I can, <laughs> can be uh, very set in some ways. Is there, a, is there a problem that you see in the world that Eternal is somehow trying to address? Like, or what is the thing that um, you see out there or your vision of the future of like set aside the product, but like what is the how is the world different in a world where eternal exists or something like that? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure yeah, what the no, question is. <laughs> not sure what the question is, but can you please go forth and uh, expand? Well, it, it's uh, more like a directionally. What do you mean when you say identity, and and why why is that important right now? Yeah, you know, for, so. I mean, before we started recording, we were talking about our seed round and whatnot. And, you know, we don't really announce anything. But in that deck, I think maybe like the second or third slide, I had this thing about like, like every generational company is kind of defined by a previous catastrophe. Mm. And I kind of lay out this thing that like, you know, with 9-11, there was this real, like deep sense of like fear and anxiety. And we kind of quenched that with Google and Facebook with this sense of like, I will give up a sense of privacy if you can just tell me everything is going to be okay, right? I type in a Google search, there's pages of things telling me I'm going to be okay. I go on Facebook and there's a real one-to-one mapping of identity that I know this person is who they say they are on the other side and we have relation and it can it can form here. We have the 2008 financial crisis and we have uh, you know a very jobless country with a lot of unutilized assets, cars and a spare room. And we build an entire economy based off of that, right? And an Uber and Airbnb just, you know, rocket off. And the one that we focused on and in my writing I focused on for a good chunk of time was just the election of Donald Trump. And I, I don't want to call that a catastrophe, but I think for some people it felt like one. I, I don't feel necessarily that 
that framework. But what I do think that happened during that time overall, spiritually, is this real fracturing of truth in a way that people didn't know how to comprehend. And I think it's been true for a while. If you go back to like the Bush era, there's this thing called reality-based communities, which I've been kind of obsessing over for a little bit now. But I think the Trump era really brought this this hyper realization of the the fracturing of truth and and narrative and we see we saw it play out on twitter for four years we we see it play out in media nonstop. and so how does identity and and relation form in a way where you can't even acknowledge what the fabric is like if we're standing on the same sand and so our entire thesis was just built off of listen like we need to build platforms that like can really breed a shared sense of narrative and allow whatever emerges from that to emerge. And so we were really focused on two things primarily. One is spatial relationship, right? I think in short, like asynchronous social is legitimately killing us. I think that structures such as like quote tweets continually remove us away from like the referential point, which keeps muddying the exact thing that we're trying to like build commentary on top of um, and forks in a lot of different directions, I think. But it's really hard to understand my place to this person when it's compressed by interface. So spatial has always been like a really important thing. And with the increased power of just like personal computing, primarily the phone, you know, we can render things that we were never able to render before. And then the second is is narrative. And, and this has been a really deep exploration on the team for the past, I don't know, let's say eight months or so. And and what does lore look like in a social network? You know, we don't have a social network where it's grounded in any sort of shared narrative because we're pulling externally into the container, which allows for a really wild and creative mashup, but also a lot of a lot of tension. And so I think, you know, to try to string those lines together, I don't necessarily know what the world looks like when Eternal is successful. But one thing I try to think about a lot is the inputs that are going into the era that we're shooting, right? I don't know what's on the other side, like in five years, but I think that the era that we're shooting is very strong um, and has like good inputs into the form, so to speak. One of, one of the things that I think is is so challenging right now about identity on the internet is that I think most people don't have just one identity that is completely like that that people can perceive (laughs) about themselves or that, or that they want to be perceived as. And essentially, you know, when you're putting yourself out there, whether on, on a social network like Twitter or Instagram or, or Facebook, you're presenting yourself in a certain way. And, but then we have so many diverse new places to go talk about things like you can be a streamer on on twitch or on youtube Mm -hmm. or you can be a person on tiktok and maybe the identity that you want to have in these different places is different you want to express nuance in various interests and you don't necessarily want all of those different things to be tied to one person you want to be open to exploring different thought patterns and things like that. And and it's very... That's exactly right. It's very difficult for people to do that, to, to have the courage to do that. But also, it, it's just an environment where people are today kind of very strongly associating whatever you say with what your belief is, which is actually different. <laughs> 100%. I mean, 
Okay, so on the same deck, <laughs> I had this whole kind of like chart of mapping identity. So pre-Facebook, I just call that like proto-identity internet. Like there's just so much happening, mm. a lot of anonymity, what have you. Facebook's like, you know, core, core innovation is just like one-to-one mapping of identity, like hyper, hyper trust, right? And they did that by like starting in colleges and like fanning out from there, right? Like I knew that like, Joe was Joe on Facebook because I also know Joe lives across the hall and I don't know what Harvard dorms are called, but whatever. That's led to like interesting status mechanisms and what I call like, we just slide into this thing of performative identity, right? I'm going to compress myself into like the sliver that gets the most uh, interaction input, right? Like I, I, I think sometimes I think about, uh, twitter like farming like i tweet something and i plant a seed in the twitter soil and then all these people come around and look at that seed and if they like the seed they'll water it right with a like or a retweet and that creates this huge beanstalk and that's what like going viral looks and feels like right sometimes it's like too much and like there's a giant and it crushes the beanstalk so we have this like performative identity piece and that's so classical just like instagram Twitter, like I'm trying to amass status to my profile card. There's very clear numbers. Eugene Way, you know, goes on a little dance and that's that. Like TikTok being the peak of this, right? Like that's just a that's just a American Idol online, basically. Or American Idol to then transfer onto YouTube where people make a lot of money, right? And then we have Snap. And what's so interesting and maybe frustrating about Snap is that it never brings us fully to identity 3.0 right i feel like snap kind of gets stuck in this 2.5 phase nathan jurgensen has this early early blog post called liquid self that like you can still read and it really talks about ephemerality and being new every morning that's also very very biblical in its roots but but yeah that piece of identity i think is really really incredible because you also have this combination with like the camera and ar and allowing this sense of like literally trying on different masks yeah and that's when performative identity starts to get really interesting again i wrote this whole thing called fractured identity on an old like tumblr at one point i had like four alts on twitter because i just like (laughs) i couldn't keep compressing myself into only being like tech like tech boy brooklyn reggie like there are so many other reggies and I was just like, I need, I need, I need more accounts. I just need more. I need to like put myself more places. And I was just like really playing with these edges of myself. Did that work for you, by the way? Because I think that this is a more and more for a while. thing. Yeah. <laughs> but then there is also there's always this tension of like, uh, you know, where are people responding? Where are you getting <laughs> the signal that what you're saying is what people want to hear, or people want to be able to consume your thoughts in a f- way that is consistent. <laughs> and that's and that's the thing, right? What what ends up happening is identity can't exist in a vacuum. Identity is an understanding of the interplay, right? And so what what started to become really clear to me and like playing with my my like different selves on Twitter is it's like, oh, like these forms actually aren't one good for the Twitter interface. And two, I have to recontextualize all these people to this other side of myself on this like interface that isn't really doing the thing I needed to do became really frustrating because I started to like doubt some of those like parts of myself 
what like starts to happen um, is that the format of the interface really starts to pull at different slices of the identities that you do or can play with, right? And that's been that's been like a constant question personally on where and how I present different slices of myself slash if I even need to. <laughs> well, I think I think people do inhabit many different personalities and characters like they mm. I mean you see this I mean video games are probably the most obvious because it's very familiar to go to like the character creation screen and create your avatar or right. you know if you're playing Super Mario or whatever you're inhabiting that character and you are that character while you're playing that video game or even if you're watching a show I think a lot of us whether you're watching a show or a movie or reading a book, you start to inhabit a character that feels relatable to you and you think about what would it be like to be that person? And we have this on the consumption level, but I think it's really interesting to think about it on the creation level where mm -hmm. now you get into like a, I don't know, a ready player one type of environment where you're already seeing this especially because of COVID and we're all on Zoom and different video chats all the time, there's all these filters that are coming out that allow you to customize your background or even, you know, touch up your appearance. But it seems very obvious that at some point we'll be able to do much more than that, modify your voice or have a complete, you know, replacement of your whole face by some like digital version of something. And, and then you can inhabit more directly in a creative way other personalities or if you want to go be another person when you're streaming video games on twitch right now we're used to seeing that little picture in the corner of mm -hmm. someone's face but why couldn't it be uh an avatar that is just like a live representation yeah. we're getting so good with like motion capture and that kind of stuff that we could easily do that in the near future yeah yeah i mean this is why I, you know we as a company are such a huge fans of like just non-photorealistic avatars because i think photorealism is just a similar boundary to video chat my my one friend aaron lewis uh he told me like he's like yeah video chat just feels like like a digital straitjacket. like i'm just bound by all sides and i can't move anywhere and mm. all, all these things are like limited and and i i personally like i i hate video chat I like can't I can't stand it. It doesn't feel free. Whereas you know the embodiment of of the player character within an environment, you can get into a relationship where that is your body, and I am going through these motions. And I think that's I think that's very powerful. On yeah, I mean on on that point of just like God, Twitch is. I think Twitch might be the most under. I don't know how, but I really do think it is the most underrated consumer platform because the way that identity shapes there live in motion with an audience with an activity that we can all focus on with the the visibility into like live process and reaction and entertainment that thing they they have going there is truly so wild well, they figured it out for video games, but I think people are, are trying that in all kinds of different, you know, there are people who are programming on there. There are people who, you know, are <clears> cooking <throat> on there. There's a lot of different things that you could be doing. Whatever it is that is your craft, you could be woodworking on there. <laughs> yeah. You know, you could be doing any of those things. It's just we haven't figured out the 
video games were such a natural input uh, or like thing to broadcast. And also yeah. the people who are doing video games are probably tech savvy enough to figure out how to do the rest of the pieces. But I could see that becoming a more normal part of more people, more creators daily lives. hundred percent. Yeah. There's just something <laughs> This sounds so dumb, but it's true. But like, we love to watch people do things like, that's why yeah. they have, you know, little windows outside of construction site walls. Cause like people would just want to peek into things that are works in progress. Um, and to like consume that live and then have the ability to like interact with how that might shape live. You know, it's just, it's just very human. I've been thinking about that for, for Lumi and thinking, should we be broadcasting our like, road mapping or product de- design sessions and trying to <laughs> I would I would get concerned that it becomes a performative thing and 100%. that like you lose yeah there's something <laughs> you're doing it for the entertainment <laughs> yeah I'm not a building public uh advocate like I, I get it I definitely I get it in a lot of arenas I get why crypto is so intru- into it because of a lot of the ethos around it but building in public to me it just, you know, it really brings me back to cameras in general. And it's like a camera necessitates pose on the other side. And to build mm-hmm. in public, there just feels like there's posturing. And right. I don't know, like, you know, building is already fucking hard enough. I, <laughs> I can't imagine adding a whole broadcast layer to it uh, at, a, at a certain cadence. I think I'd, I'd lose my mind. Oh, well, I think that um, Lot Twenty Forty Six of uh, Vedic uh, Marmalada yeah. they they do that, and it's pretty interesting. I've tuned in here and there. I, I was thinking of him and their team in particular because, I mean, they're so interesting they're with, <laughs> with what they do. But they're tight. Uh, yeah, we'll put some links um, in in the in the show notes. But they'll they're they're company Lot Twenty Forty Six is just a really fascinating build in public type of company making physical products but i think there's also a, 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 a chunk of time that we don't see that is behind the scenes oh 100 um, so there's a community building side to it and a creative side to it that can still be distinct yeah yeah i think that's i think that's very fair i think that's very fair you know i think at the at the end of the day like you know creation is such a spiritual process it's kind of like being at a party and you know you're not having fun anymore. And it's just like, just leave the party, dude. Like, you don't have to stick <laughs> around for anyone. And I think right. I think there's so many things in life like that where, like, you know you're not enjoying the literal process that you're in right now. And you're just trying to force the thing out of some weird abstract reasoning. And it's just like, no, you don't have to do it that way. Like, you really don't have to do it that way. You don't have to be at a party if you're not having fun. You don't have to build in public if, like, that's not how you're going to enjoy building. Like, you just got to get led by by the body sometimes i i was going back into the archives of um your newsletter and reading about um well there's a word that kept coming up in so many of your different articles which is cybernetic Mm. and cybernetic is is um it has a very specific meaning i'm curious how you use it or what do you think of when you think of cybernetic and why does it come up so often for you yeah what what does it mean? Maybe it's just provocative. I mean, I think of cybernetics typically in like one of two ways. One is simply like aesthetically. Like sometimes I see something I'm like, damn, that's cybernetic as hell. 
Like <laughs> it really, it really is like that simple. Like it's just become like somewhat like text. like What is an example for, of that? What is cybernetic as hell? <laughs> um, okay. I think, um, only be only because my, my co-founder is like obsessed with her, but Caroline Polachek, like, I think she rides this like cybernetic spirituality wave that is like aesthetic, like aesthetically, like right off point. Right. Um, I think that's a good example. But then like in the most just like, you know, academic sense, it's really just like an understanding of like how, how stuff loops back on itself to then start a whole new like direction or like refined direction. Right. So like the easiest example is always like, like temperature in a room. It's like, I sense a temperature. I go up to the thermostat. I adjust it. I sense a new temperature. Do I need to adjust it again? And like that entire loop of like, uh, mechanical action to environmental change to sensory perception to mechanical action to environmental change that is a very just like clean cybernetic loop of um yeah that i guess it's kind of a triptych in a in a way um but that's those are the two ways i typically <laughs> at least i think i'm using it when i pull it up in my writing um yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, that second definition is kind of fascinating to me because it points to maybe some sort of mechanistic or controllable thing, or like maybe a, a, a desire to like look at the inputs and outputs of a system as something that can be understood. <laughs> yeah, in the most basic way. Yeah, we are like truly meaning-making machines, right? And I think yeah. that a lot of I think a lot of writing is just external, consumable, meaning-making. And um, yeah, that might be why it comes up so much, because I think the entire act of writing is this thing of just like, I'm sensing something in my environment. I'm trying to like get in a very literal, literary way that thing down, and then I put it out back into the environment, except now the environment is like my peers or, you know, inter internet people. and um, and there's sometimes a, a response that that makes me think about my environment differently or what I'm, what I'm sensing differently. There's this seminal um, book. I think it's just called Cybernetics. I, I was thinking about that because it was very influ influential in the kind of defining ideas ar uh, around artificial intelligence back in like the 50s or 60s, mm. like very early on. And it makes me think about this whole category of we had Kevin Kelly on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he's, he's been on a few times. <laughs> the goat, and I've seen uh, in his crew with like Stuart Brand. I've seen you quote um, his work. A quote that I, I I really love from him is, and I've seen you quote it too, which is, "We are as gods, might as well get good at it." Yeah, and I feel like that kind of all connects into some sort of theme, which is that we're controlling more and more of our environment in every definition of the term environment yeah and so how do we get good at controlling that and where does it extend into and cybernetics is kind of a version of that too I, yeah I, I don't know where that takes you but i'm curious why that area seems to be such an inspiration for you yeah you know that's you know i think i think two just like deeply held beliefs i I like have, and they're just like really short quips. It's just like, we're endowed by our creator to go forth and create. And the other is just like, humans are terraformers. Like that's, that's why we're here. Like we're here to terraform. And to your point of just like, you know, control over like the environment, 
in the very expansive nature of what environment means. Like, I think I view terraforming the same way, right? Like, even this conversation, like we we're shaping towards a thing. We might not even be like cognizant of what that thing is, but I think spiritually there is like a goal there that is like just like kind of like spinning. Yeah, I mean, love Kevin Kelly. You know, um, Saleo gave me um, what technology wants, and that was I read that like right when the pandemic hit, and that was really uh influential on me just like i really just tore it up like <laughs> with the annotations and yeah Stuart brand is like i have a whole earth catalog like right next to me how did you come across them or was it was it through that book so i think yeah no i think saleo was just like you need to read this this will be good for you and i was like yes yes sensei <laughs> I, I will i will read just read it like right away I, I i love saleo i think he's i think he's very he's a very tapped in human and then i think my my friends got me into Stuart brand like i had a a group of friends we all went to maine in october just like a big chunk of us like some like very close friends and some complete strangers just like this house that got put together and it was one of those months where I, t- to me, like 2021 started at the end of coming back from that trip. Like that trip was essentially like New Year's. Like it was very much the turning point. So I've been in 2021 for like three months before like 2021 <laughs> happened. But yeah, on that trip, like a couple people had like whole earth catalogs and it was just like very intersectional. You know, it sounds like so privileged and like woohoo or whatever, but like, yeah, they, they were just like, oh, you don't know. <laughs> Stuart Brand, like you're an idiot. And I'm just like, you're right. I'm dumb. And then, yeah, I did. I just like dove right in and really fell in love with like how he lives. And then I, I read um, Electric Kool Aid Acid Test. I don't know if you know that mm-hmm. book, but yeah, yeah, I've read it. Yeah, that that's like a whole. That was like a whole wave. That felt like doing acid just for like <laughs> a week straight. I was like, <laughs> Jesus. Um, and then I watched the the Stripe Press uh, produced documentary on on Stewart, and that was I found that oh I haven't seen inspiring. it inspiring yeah oh I got to watch that yeah I mean I think it's having a resurgence right now because he was very influential in the seventies and I, I I think that even um, Steve Jobs was bringing up the whole Earth catalog back in the eighties and and yeah. the whole Earth catalog in a weird way was a manifestation of the internet before it became a thing. It was just this catalog of... And, Google and very, cool. <laughs> Yeah, and it was very, um, I think, I, there's a there's a hippie kind of vibe to it. There was a an association with the hippie movement and kind of giving people the tools to go and create their alternate society wherever they want. And here was the manual for how to do that, which was everything from like, things that you could buy to set up your commune to like how to do beekeeping to yeah. just random essays interspersed in between. <laughs> yeah. It, again, yeah. Access to tools, man. Like it was, it was very much like here are the tools you need to build whatever you're trying to, you know, manifest into the world. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now that we have this abundance of information and tools, it's like, wait a minute, D- did we, <laughs> I think the reason people are coming back to that is like, did we succeed in doing the thing mm. that that started? And like, what do we, it's like coming back to the roots of like, that was the the setup for 
you know, basically the next 40 years of technology. And I think it's an interesting time that so many people seem to be coming back to that as a source material to figure out where should we go next? Like, did we did we end up doing the thing that we <laughs> set out to do? Right. Well, I think what's interesting is like the thing that we set out to do is to simply inform more people of the things that they can do, right? Like, I don't think the thing that we set out to do actually was prescriptive as much as it was give people the tools yeah to, to, to <laughs> literally, the like really, yeah ex- exactly exactly i think what might be spiritually disappointing to some people is just what people chose to do um, <laughs> which, yeah. which i think some i think some people would argue not so much i think other people would argue that we've made incredible you know leaps and bounds and and i mean i think this is what God, for better or for worse, of bringing this up, like I think this is what like progress studies tries to like dive into. Like, are we progressing? What does that look like? How are we defining these wins um, or <laughs> or dubs? And, and yeah, I think that's I think that's a really hard question because it, at the end of the day, what you're going to root progress in are are your values. You know, to a conservative Christian, we have not progressed. We <laughs> we have we have strayed from the light, right? And to you know someone else like they you know they're living in like shangri-la right now so you know i think i think those again this really ties all the way back to like reality-based communities like we need to ask ourselves some like really fundamental questions based off of the things that we're building and i think one thing that we try to really lean into myself as well as i think my peers but definitely the company is you know being very principle-minded and very like philosophical in our inputs because Facebook's like Facebook's whole thing for a good chunk of time was just like, we're going to connect the world. Right. But I don't think they ever like sat down to think about like, well, should we actually connect the world? Should we have this much ability to touch anyone? I personally would argue, uh, I don't need everyone to touch me and I I don't need to touch everyone. Um, like, and, and, um, I think, yeah, I just think, I think essentially, we gave people a lot of tools without any sort of unified narrative, right? And we had those kind of coincided with like some really interesting cultural explosions. And now people are kind of standing around asking what's next because we moved for so long without without a direct narrative and, and people kind of need one. We want one. I think that's the boom in astrology. It's like, please tell me, tell me something. I beg of you, tell me something that's going to happen today or, or tell me how I should feel because I can't go on like this meaning making without any sort of sense of direction. Well, you've mentioned um, spirituality a bunch already, and I'm curious how that fits into a point on the horizon that you're aiming for or or a process that you go about. Like, how do you how does it fit in with what we've been talking about so far? for you personally yeah (laughs) yeah um yeah you know i mean i i grew up christian i'm still christian my parents were short-term missionaries like i lived abroad like in short clips and yeah i have a i have a deep belief in god and you know kind of like like i was saying before like we're endowed by our creator to go forth and create like i i think that's just like it's just simply truth like (laughs) like it's time to build is yeah it's like it's trite, but it's also just like a universal truth. I don't know how much we have to say it. You know, for me personally, I I want to design and build technologies that improve an individual's reality daily. 
it's really that simple. I want people to live mm. better and I want to live better as an individual. I want to live closer to my values. I think we all have an inherent feeling of what happens when we live kind of outside of our values. And it's very, it's very hard to operate that way daily. And I think values and narrative are very tied together. Um, I think how we meaning make are very like tied to those things. And at the end of the day, design and technologies are embodiments of these values. And so if we're not constantly auditing what the values going into any piece of design or art or technology, like if we're, if we're not auditing those things, we're going to end up with tools that aren't good and, and they're not, they're not like net positive to the fabric. Um, so I, I think about those things constantly. I, I, I constantly live in fear that we're not like embodying the values that, that we want to really embrace. I'm worried about the wrong people building technology is one thing. There's a meme in Silicon Valley that's like, I don't want anyone to make the world a better place better than we do. And I, <laughs> I fully, I fully like love that meme because it's just like this hilarious intersection of like Silicon Valley capitalism of just like, listen, we need to make the world the best place it can be because we need to be, <laughs> we need to be in charge. And I mean, there's a lot to dive into just with that meme. But well, I think what you're saying is that it, you know, tools in in themselves embed the values of the creators uh, of that tool. In, yeah, hundred Kind of like <laughs> McLuhan, like the medium is the message, like the tool is the medium, or <laughs> somehow you yeah. are embedding. And so, how do you think about that when you're creating tools? Like you're saying, you want tools that kind of uh, allow you to pursue your values, but then when you make tools, they might be embedding values. Yeah. Are you thinking about trying to create tools that are more agnostic or trying to create tools that have a different set of values than most of the tools that exist out there? Oh, oh, it can't be agnostic. It's impossible for them to be agnostic. You know what I, you know, to bring it actually back to like the MVP conversation, I think too often technologists think that they're building MVPs and they are value agnostic, but it's very much not true. And then you can kind of find yourself sliding into a set of values of something that works, but like you haven't actually audited if you want these things to work. And it's very easy to make uh, sins work really well. And I think, and I think, I think that's a really interesting repercussion of what happens when you think that technology is agnostic. Mm. When you think that you can divorce political conversations from the workplace, so to, so to speak. It's just, it's like, I choose not to comment on some of these things because I just think they're so dumb and obvious, but... Have you read um, Tools for Conviviality? Okay, crazy enough, it's in my bag. And okay. I, I like, I read like a little bit, but then I got distracted and now I'm reading, <laughs> now I'm reading Dante's Inferno. And <laughs> I, I don't know, I'm, I've, I've been having a, like a lot of trouble reading and writing lately. I don't know what's wrong with me but no. i've just been like i've just been like hopping around a bunch uh maybe i'm just really focused on work right now but uh, sorry keep going on your train of thought <laughs> I, I just thought it's so related to tools for conviviality which is a a, a great book by an author called illich but but it's just sort of the concept of what you're describing which is the tools aren't agnostic even the most basic tool like a hammer you know it's 100%. saying something about what you should go do with that hammer and so when you think about the tools you're creating, what type of values are you trying to instill into them? Yeah, yeah. And, and this is like why we have had no problem kind of like restarting on products because, you know, I think we take our work seriously. And like, I do think the stakes are high. I write a lot personally because it's a direct exploration into 
how we think about design internally. The reason why we call ourselves an identity company and not like we care a lot about spatial software is just because like by really taking ourselves seriously, by saying we are an identity company, we have to have a vision on what identity can look like. And to tie back into like, you know, this train of like Facebook with one to one identity and performative identity and Snap with like liquid identity. For us, like one of our core core theses is is that uh, group identity is like just one of the most powerful things. And specifically that group identity informs individual identity. Right. Mm-hmm. So like on that piece and like performative identity and, and status, like I really think we we are living in some of the worst time for social internet. My identity is not just like formed alone. It and it shouldn't be this thing in which I'm trying to accrue status to nonstop as like a form of play. Like that's like the worst form of play is trying to be the center of something. And so at Eternal, like the, the the primary thing is really just showing that like groups are the most powerful force. And your friend group is really a, a definitive piece of, of who you are and should be embraced as such. And what are the things that we can give you with the group in mind, like from day one, with multiplayer in mind from day one, that can really transform how you think about yourself and, and how you think about your peers, right? I think... Um, you know, just to give an easy example, like I think Among Us does this really well, right? It's like, mm-hmm. okay, there's eight friends and two of you are now who you say you are. And what <laughs> what that does to like a group dynamic for like the next hour is just so fun and exploratory. You just see so many different sides. There are some people that literally cannot be the imposter. Yeah. Like, which just says something about them, right? Like they they just cannot do it. And there there are some people that are so deceptively good at it that it makes you concerned for all of your future interactions. And that's yes. like what a, that's what a good experience and a good sense of play and like identity exploration is supposed to do. I need to walk away and feel like, oh, Rachel, I I know a little a little bit more about Rachel. Now. You learned something that you would have never learned otherwise about you know your relationships with people. Hundred percent. And I think social, I think current social and performance social does this in a really interesting way. And some of it's net positive. I'm not, I'm not trying to like bash all of it. But I think in very obvious ways, we've, we've seen how these tools don't provide the outcomes that, that we thought they would. A game like Among Us, and there's many, if people haven't played that, maybe you've played like Mafia or, um, what's it called? Uh, Secret Hitler. There's a, like a lot of yeah. these different werewolf. There's a lot of these hidden identity games. And I think those have had a lot of popularity over the past five to 10 years because they are so fun, but they create a context that's so specific that you want to inhabit for a period of time. Whereas Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or Snap want to like consume as much of your life as possible. So they defer down to any... When you think back to the early days of Snap, it was much more specific than it has become over time. And when you yeah, see something sure. like, whether it's stories or Clubhouse or, you know, these these new features just tend to become a layer on top of every con- consumer app or even LinkedIn is implementing all of yeah. those things too. That Yeah, um, well, they focus this- so much on the container, right? Like I think yeah. so much so much has been like put into like, oh, this is the container. How, how can we modify this container, give tools within the container? It's a very, seeing like a state platform-minded view i think that's i think that's all well and good clearly it's worked to some sense and by when i say work i just mean has scaled which you know i think is kind of like the religion of 
technology right now. It seems like they're saying you have to bring the structure and like, you know, we're not going to provide the structure. We're going to provide all of the different means of communication that you need to interact with all the different people you want to interact. But when you describe um, what you're talking about, it sounds like creating structure is really important to creating new modes of relationships for people. 100%. Like creating the structure essentially has just become, you know, the, the that's the table stakes, right? Essentially, we need to, we really need to just like raise like what's at stake. And so if we're raising what's at stake, you have to understand like, all right, well, what's table stakes now? And it's just like, okay, well, what's table stakes is like the ability to get like you and a friend group that you really care about into the container as fast as possible, right? Like the container is no longer the point. The container is the table stakes. And so then it's like, all right, cool, we got them there. Now, what are we trying to like ascend to, right? I think that's, you just start to, you start to unlock a whole new set of questions that, you know, are, are really, are really interesting. Um, and so often consumer technology can kind of get like trivialized. And it's just one of those things where I think, I think people just view it as silly or whatever, but I, I genuinely think that consumer technology is the most important thing. And I, and I think the past four years have really, really shown this to be true, but only in like a, in like scaled environments. I think every generation should believe that they're in like the first inning of a very long game, an infinite game. Shout out James P. Cars. And, and so like, I just, I just refuse to believe like any of these things are like the best form. I don't think you, I don't think we should be allowed to believe these things are the best form. To me, there was a turning point at some point in Silicon Valley when <laughs> Instagram uh, copied Snap and brought stories into Instagram. And the, the thing that was a turning point was how brazen Kevin Systrom and the Instagram team were about saying, we think Snap and the stories format is a format. And it sort of opened the door for all of these different yeah. companies, whether it's Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. TikTok to just take each other's features. And what we've had over the past 15 years is an explosion of all of the different possible variations of formats that can exist across every different type of medium that you can think of. So it's like Mm -hmm. text-based, audio-based, video-based, synchronous, asynchronous, short form, long (laughs) form. And so you just take every different slice of that thing, and then you mix it with the graph that that particular company brings. Like, LinkedIn has the business graph. Facebook has, you know, whatever demographic. Instagram has a different demographic. Facebook has the world. <laughs> well, I mean, the active, whoever the active users of Facebook are or that particular group. And so it just seems like we have created all of these different formats and maybe there's more. And, and sometimes new ones come about. Like in the past year, it's probably been, you know, the ones that have gotten the most attention are, are Clubhouse and Substack. But already we're seeing all the big players say they're going to have their own clone of that come out in the next few months. <laughs> 100%. I mean, it's it's yeah. really interesting. Like, And and this is why, like, the container, again, the container is table stakes because it's just like, the container can really be just, like, ripped and pasted, especially when you have an organization with thousands of engineers. Like, but, like a container that, uh, that you make that's, shout out to Clubhouse and everything they've done, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, interface on top of Agora, right? Like, that you you right. can take a lot of the container. What can't pour is like some of the culture that you really got in nice and tight with the graph, what have you. I wrote this thing once that like I'm gonna be like on my vacation house on the moon and pull out like 
my clean slate from like my pocket and still open Twitter. Like I think Twitter might be the most <laughs> nuclear resistant product of all mm. time. And I think, you know, people like, you know, mess with them because it's like, oh, Twitter hasn't shipped the feature in five ever. But like I actually think that that, although probably not intentional, is one of the biggest things they did right is actually not change the product at all because it's really hard to mess up. Like it's really hard to mess up at this point. But yeah, I think, you know, for for anyone like building in and consumer right now, it's hard. It's it's really, it's really, really hard. And I don't think containers alone can really do it. I don't think format alone can really do it. I, I have a very big belief that um, you shouldn't actually publicize all your ideas. I think it's really hard. And I think it's it's hard when you have uh, the type of competitive environment that it's in. You have to have some really strong opinions. Well, my my ratio on, on Twitter of like drafts to tweets is probably a thousand to one. It's like <laughs> I'm always in the process of writing a tweet I'm constantly like massaging it. And then I, th- this is the exact thing that happens every time. I have an idea. I want to tell it. And I'm like starting to write it. And then I'm questioning the way that I phrased it. And I'm trying to fit it into the character limit. And then I'm like, why am I spending so much time trying to even communicate this idea? Who cares? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. my process every time I'm about to write a tweet. And then I just basically don't tweet it. See, I take the hyper, I, I take the hyper aggressive like MVP approach, which is just like this will get good out in public. <laughs> I just, I'll just send, just send the tweets. It'll be okay. Well, that is a thing, and I think this is this is where I hope that Eternal can help me as a as a person because that is my <laughs> that is my constant. Um, I mean, even this podcast in itself, this podcast could probably be more popular if it was more specifically trying to do something. But it's not. It's really just trying to uh, satisfy my curiosity for all of these different things in the world. But that's not a great way to explain anything. (laughs) Sure. Well, that's that's the thing. That's the thing, right? Because it it becomes... God. I mean, this really really can like dive into like a whole thing on like tech culture and, and how we position everything but it's just like like it's okay if the point's not scale it's it's okay if the point isn't even like educational we have to transcend into like vibe space and it's just like i get a good vibe going with the people that come on and talk about cool stuff if there's a hundred people that dig this like there's a hundred people that dig this that's sick that's awesome like <laughs> like I, I just tech people are so bad at embracing that and i think that it goes back to my question slash point slash meditation if you want to call it that of <laughs> I would like everyone to have more diversified interest and bring weird things together that nobody else has ever brought together things from vastly separate worlds kind of somehow yeah. connecting and you're the unique person who understands how to connect those those two things right. and so hopefully well made is some sort of just constant stream of weird things that hopefully you haven't had you haven't thought about yeah. and and yeah, inputs yeah. into some sort of process and then you the listener make the connection but tech tends to have the opposite desire to kind of feed you the things that you've liked in the past and how do you you know how do you solve for that mm, yeah why well, yeah there's oh, well there's this thing i think uh, I think it's in What Technology Wants by Kevin Kelly. And there's just this point that like technology does a really good job at reflecting itself back to us. And because it reflects itself back to us, there's like 
a good cybernetic loop of us improving mm-hmm. that thing. And so it's like, it reflects itself to us. We see this thing that we should change. We change it. It reflects it. And it, like that, that's like what an iteration cycle is. But technology as just like an organism that's alongside of us is just so good at that. And then it becomes like this interesting thing on, on your point of like, it feeds us the things that we already have like liked before, where I hate nostalgia. Like I hate nostalgic design. I hate nostalgic <laughs> apps. Like I hate when someone's just like, remember when Instagram did this thing? Like we should make, we should get to that feeling again. It's like, no, we need new feeling. We need new feelings. We need new shit. And like, I think that on that point of like it, it reflecting itself back to us, it's really good at just being a mirror to us as well. And I think like, it just kind of shows us like, look at all these things that you liked before. Like we're going to give you more of that. Like we're not, we're actually not going to like push you into new feelings or into new territories. I think games do it actually really well. I have, I really, I deeply believe that like game designers, game developers, games are just like yes, freaking light years away from like cons- all other consumer technology. Agreed. And once that understanding breaks through mainstream, people are going to feel really dumb about the way that they've even thought about like. It's like, mm, is this rounded corner like you know round? And it's like, oh, who? No, I no, I do not care, man. One of the best videos on product design of all time is Shigeru Miyamoto explaining the first level of Mario. Um, Mm -hmm. And he explains Mm -hmm. how they designed the first level of Mario. And it is onboarding 101. You never think about I'm being onboarded into this video game. But they thought about that back in the 80s and they had totally nailed it. You know, and it's an interface. There's stuff that is in that explanation that people didn't understand about ux until the mid 2010s <laughs> yeah 100 no 100 percent. i mean i i think the biggest privilege in the world there, there's there's a couple like first like huge privilege in in my tech career was just like when peter boys took a chance on me and let me start rough drop that pen and then there's you know a good series of other ones but like the the privilege like of eternal is never having built anything spatial or a game just having a lot of thoughts and theory and then hiring (laughs) somehow some of like the most brilliant people i've ever gotten to meet and like when you work in spatial and like game design enough and just even if you're just like around the people doing like the actual in the weed stuff like you start to look at grass differently like you lay in grass and you're just like man like how did this get to like have these layers yeah how's this how's this thing so high res how many polygons are just like but but it really is true you really just start to look at your physical environments differently and yeah i don't i don't know if i'll ever be able to do anything else (laughs) <laughs> in certain ways because it's just it's just such a mind expansion like i don't know anything about design i think i do but i i don't and then like i i started working with like game people and then i really was like oh i don't know any i don't know anything <laughs> it's really just like the the way they process is so wild you were working out there's a i forget the title exactly but it had something to do with product principles you were trying to sort of mm. uh work out your product p- principles like a year ago and one of them that you had on there i felt attacked when i read it um and i'd like <laughs> you to explain which was minimalism is fucking dead what did you mean by that <laughs> <laughs> my whole lifestyle is dead <laughs> you know i think <laughs> uh, what did i what did i mean by that 
Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm ribbing you, but I, I, I think I kind <laughs> of get sure. where you're going with it. You know, I think that there's just um, certain times where I'll say something like as aggressively as possible because yes. like, I, I just feel so frustrated by everything that I'm seeing. And what I really meant by like minimalism is dead is like, I live a very Spartan life. Like if you, if you come to like my apartment, like my bedroom is <laughs> a bookshelf a bed, a chest, and then my closet, right? And and a piano. I have a keyboard. But it's just like these are the these are the four things in my <laughs> in my room, right? And so it, it wasn't like a thing on like the principles of just like minimalism and consumption as much as it was like I think minimalism has also replaced mm. personality is is what I was really trying to get at. And so much of what we use daily is so devoid of personality. Yes, and so when it's devoid of personality, like what it what it translates to me, like I think that interface is like translation. Like what it translates to me, what I what I start to feel is just like like this person's lame. They don't have opinions. Like minimalism becomes this like excuse to like not have an opinion, right? It's just like mm. welcome to my house. Here are the three black couches. It's like really you wanted three black couches in a fucking circle. Like that's what you wanted. Like that's how you feel about your home. It's like I I just to me it becomes like these choices become a translation of who this person is. And if I see just constant minimalism, whether it be like in the home, in product design, I'm just like, oh, this is who you are. My thing on like minimalism is fucking dead is I would like to reverse that into like my belief that people are far more dynamic than they allow themselves to be. And we should allow that dynamic nature to play out in in all forms of expression. And I think I think things would just be a lot more fun and real, and the connective tissue would just be a lot more vibrant if we just got away with that fetishization. And that's not just—I I mean, I love Dieter Rams, like you know that shit's tight. But like, it's just <laughs> like I think you know there, there's a time to love that and do that thing, and and that was cool. But you know, new feelings, new, 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 new. new. Well, it seems like that's a a, a product principle that's uh, not on the list, it, and and that was. It seemed like you were sort of um, brainstorming them out loud uh, in that yeah. in that in that post. I'm wondering if you should do uh, a new one. If you go back to that, are there are there some that you agree with yourself or disagree with yourself on? Yeah, let me let me pull this up. Uh, it's been a while since I since I looked at this. Well, you know, some of those things like Dieter Rams has those 10 rules and it becomes sort of like the Bible that you're taught in design, yeah. design school, design circles. And you're like, OK, these are the 10 commandments from Dieter Rams. I'm going to live my life by them. I remember I went to industrial design school and we were taught them like basically as though they were set in stone. And I remember mm -hmm. disagreeing with a couple, a couple of them and thinking, I think I should come up with my own. But I like the... Uh, I like the exercise of challenging those. Yeah, it's it's incredibly important. I think more people should do it, but you know, I think you just have to understand like all these things are like hyper hyper flexible. I'm looking at it now. <laughs> yeah, I think some of these are just yeah, some of these are just me very riffy. Narrate your thoughts. What are you seeing? What's coming to mind? Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking at um the zero to 0.5 version of the product should be able to show the vision. Like, I think that's really hard, but I think that's, that's kind of like, we actually had like this very long um, product chat this morning and it was kind of around that. Like we were starting to push new builds again, like twice a week. And, and the most recent build, there was just like this piece that like, it was clear we weren't fully happy with, but no one was like putting that out front. 
we're in this like 0.5 moment right now, it's very obvious that like we're not getting that translation down. But no one was saying anything. And it was like this whole exercise of just like, it was an audit of like process and the thing itself and be like, all right, right now we all have to say that we're not happy. Because if we're not going to say it, then like someone in a few months is not going to be happy. And then we're going to feel way more shitty than we do <laughs> like right now. So I'll, I'll stand by that one. The the right for the technologist build for the user one is kind of funky, but like Re- the, repeat I, that just I, just for people listening. Oh uh, yeah, right for the technologist build for the user. I yeah. think th- I wrote this whole thing right before the new year, and it was kind of just like if we're going to write about ourselves constantly, can it be good? Mm. And it's just like I think maybe I'm just like really really critical, but like I just don't think most technology writing is good particularly like from within the community right like i'm not even talking about yeah. like people that like write at the new york times or whatever or like verge or wired like i'm not even talking about that i'm talking about like everyone and their mother has a sub stack we're all like talking about <laughs> similarly the same stuff and it's just like i i read like peers and people that have like strong followings i'm just like this isn't good like why yeah. isn't this good and i think so much of it comes down to like they're talking to me as if i don't live in the same environment that they do one like criticism that i get about my writing is like some people are just like i don't get what you're saying i'm like that's like that's fine you're probably just not consuming the same shit i am it's like if and then i get and then i get people that are just like oh this is like really fire and it's the same exact piece right so to me it's just like i'm just gonna i'm writing because i'm consuming these things i'm going to lay out some of it but i'm not going to say all of it because that's that i don't want to do that you just got to write the same way a conversation happens i'm not going to like set all these primers for you like you're either with it or you're not with uh no i get what you're saying (laughs) and i I think that when you're writing you always have to make the trade-off between how well do you want to be understood versus how um I don't know, how interesting do you want to make it for yourself or for the reader? And those things, like, the more... When I'm writing, I, I've been <laughs> working on various release notes and things like that where I want to communicate a feeling of why we built certain things, but then I end up writing a 2,000-word essay, and I'm like, okay, no one's going to read this. I better just write bullet points that people can understand <laughs> and just consume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so sure. there's that trade-off which is like I think what you're saying a little bit there is there's a difference between, you know, the people who want to consume that kind of like philosophical, you know, ideation of what you're trying to do versus the user who might not want to or care about that or needs something different. Yeah. They just want the thing, right? And like this yeah. is the thing. Like when when we're building for that, like this is this is why it's an act of translation, because it really needs to they you can't speak in Japanese to an English speaker and expect them to know it, right? Like and then that same way, like I cannot speak in like the most funky, freeform technology language and then expect some person to be like, I feel the same exact way when I play this app. Like that, that's, that's not how that right. translation works, right? And so like that's, that's the point, right? Like I, I need to be able to allow those thoughts to live somewhere. And if, if you're a technologist and you're like trying to like vibe on that, then like cool. But like if, if like I don't, I don't care if like a 16 year old kid thinks my writing is dumb. Like it's not for you. The app is for you. Do you like the app? Yes. All right. So then, so then these two things are working together for me. Maybe not in 
your style of consumption of me, maybe not this person's style of consumption of me, but like in terms of like how the totality of my brain is trying to like manifest the exact same points, it's happening maybe. <laughs> Ideally, yes, sometimes. <laughs> I, I mean, I know exactly how you feel. I, I, I have a lot of drafts of me trying to explain why I think supply chain is a form of art. And I'm like, I don't mm. know who the audience is for this, except for me. I, it's, I, me. it's never going to be. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to read that. Well, it's, it's, it's probably not, you know, it's the, it's the users of Lumi, like maybe on a Sunday afternoon, but it's not mm. the users of Lumi, like when they're trying to uh, use the product. Right. You know, and so how do you kind of find that right balance of being, uh, you know, able to write kind of about the philosophy and the why and exploring your own thoughts and where you think things should go and then the very sort of snackable consumable here's what you want here's what you need to know you're not going to present everyone who you know logs on to eternal with a 2000 word essay before they can start using the app so that they understand why or, they're joining or rely. <laughs> you may <laughs> I, I you have no idea what the you. onboarding process is. <laughs> the onboarding process is <laughs> read <laughs> yeah here's here's understanding oh, media by marshall McLuhan. i'll see you in five weeks and i can't <laughs> wait for you to use the app it's gonna be great you know have you been to naoshima do you know this place i don't know this place well speaking of japan we i i'll I got to take you to Naoshima. Um, it's an island uh, in kind of a remote place in Japan. I've okay. seen, I've, I've, you've um, been layering some of your posts with imagery from James Terrell and Tadao Ando. Those yeah. two, uh, those two artists and architects collaborated on this, like no. kind of like Jurassic Park meets an art. Uh, installation it's an island in the middle <laughs> of japan where you go and basically it's just muse like these museums uh designed by uh the two of them and some other people um what how have i never heard yeah of this? it's incredible i gotta i gotta take you there i think you would love it it would really um, i don't have real your... friends considering i just learned <laughs> about this clearly they're all they're all fake uh, well, look it up. Naoshima Art Island in Japan. Um, it's just a pretty incredible place. Um, there's a museum where you can actually sleep there. And then if you stay <laughs> at the museum, <laughs> you can go and visit it at night. Oh, oh, I know some of these pieces. Yeah. I didn't realize that this was just like an island. This is crazy. Because I've seen, obviously, like a good chunk of these. I had no idea this was just like its own island wonderland for SF design boys to make the next notion. Yes, that's exactly who is <laughs> exactly going there. Is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure the people who make notion live there. <laughs> now, it, it was a it was a small um, kind of like fishing area, and kind of the island sort of got abandoned because I'm not sure if the people were kind of moving out of there who lived there and s somehow some group of wealthy I'm not sure Japanese people brought all kinds of like people together there to create it's got a very ex machina type of vibe if you've seen that movie <laughs> yeah I love I love that movie yeah yeah we haven't even talked about sci-fi yet this is crazy okay we got uh, 10 minutes to hit sci-fi what have you been uh, reading, watching, listening to lately, sci-fi wise? Yeah, well, actually, I so I mean, I I love sci-fi. I've been kind of on a like I said, I've just been like having a really hard time 
reading anything. But you said Ex Machina, and I absolutely loved that movie. I was just looking at like photo, like stills from it again, because I've just, mm. I've slowly but surely just been thinking about like AI stuff, very much in like a spiritual sense. And I think like the, the thing about the way we talk and depict AI so many times is like AI with its own embodiment standing in like opposition to self. And I've just been like, okay, this, this one, all for some reason, all these, all these outcomes are not good. So, so I don't know why, I don't know why we keep embracing that, that visualization. But I've, I've been like constantly thinking about AI at like my fingertips. And yeah. I don't know, I don't know why it's like my fingertips, but like, it's just the thing on my body I keep thinking about. I like that. And I keep thinking about like, okay, well, like, what does, what does that feel like? And, and what does that do? Um, and I think GPT-3 like really allowed us to have an extensionist view of AI. Like I input yes. something, it adds onto it. I input something. And it's like, it's a little bit of a, it's like a bit of a dance. And so I've really just been thinking about like AI as like a dancing partner and not like this thing to the side that might stab me in the back when I, <laughs> when I turn, or, turn away from it. Well, like the way that you're, the way that you're gesturing here uh, makes me think of AI as, as clothing, AI as, mm. AI as a door inside of your brain that you can open if you need it. Um, right. If people haven't played around with GPT-3 and some of the things that are possible with it. There's some really interesting copywriting apps that have come out recently. Um, one is made by a friend of mine called Amit Gupta. I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but I'll put it in the show notes. And it's just amazing how it will take you know a sentence that you've written and, and complete it or add another paragraph to it. And, it, and, and so it, it does feel like 100%. you can be the initiator of something that is more a relationship um which is very interesting exactly <laughs> i have this whole like kind of like thought around a product which is essentially just like i want to be able to take everything that's like the best of me and put it into like an avatar and like have that meld a bit with like gbt3 maybe it's just like using all my personal shit as like training data or what have you and then when i'm in like an emotionally oh, wow. heightened state i can consult myself Right. Like when, whenever you're like really in a heightened state, like the way, like you have to like, you have to lower yourself down. Maybe you're like expressing this to your partner or whatever. And it's not coming out right because that's not how language works. Like once it's racking around their brain, it's just like, I want to be able to like not journal, but like have a real dialogue in which like I know that I'm getting the response of like, essentially like there's Kanye and there's Kamye. This is like, I want to know like (laughs) Kamye version of myself um, that I can like (laughs) chat with. Um, and just well, like, there's I something. Just wonder what happens. It sounds a little bit narcissistic. I think I'm. I'm trying. I'm not. I'm not accusing no, no, you of that. The, I'm wondering. No, I'm wondering word. if. You, yeah, I'm wondering if someone would think of that as narcissistic. But I think that if you know anyone who's an active like journal journaler, someone who writes right. their own journal, that's kind of how you use a journalist, like to reconnect with another version of yourself in a right. past time. Like I'm. I might be writing something for my future self, or I might be consuming something of my past self. How do you expand that into not just, you know, a time related vector, but a like expansion related vector, a space related vector? I used to journal so much. And 
I found myself just getting into these like loops where I was just like, mm. damn, have I been like, have I been dealing with this thing for, <laughs> for this long? The answer is <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the answer was yes. For the, for the entirety of your life. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe, you know, maybe it really is one of those things of like, I know when I was, I was like journaling every day when I was like 22 and I'm 25 now. And, and, I, and I was just like, and <laughs> maybe it really is one of those things of getting older in quotes and just being like, Oh no, I will just kind of like wrestle with these things until I, you know, I don't know, something happens. Um, but I really do feel like this form of like having this weird, like slight disassociation, but it's still being me. Like, I do think I can bring journaling kind of like beyond mm-hmm. some of those, like those, those loops that we, it doesn't feel good to like flip back and be like, damn, I've really been on this. Right. And I don't even know if this, this type of product would help, but I do think there is something to, I think social is already this kind of like, I'm going to chip off a bit of my brain and throw it out there. Like, I think this kind of helps to like repull that into the self. There's something very optimistic to me about what you're saying, because I think it, it is maybe one of the, the only things that I've seen in the past five to 10 years that actually shards out into more different things than showing you the same thing over and over, you know, going right. back to our past that that every like AI in, in these sort of, I don't know w- what you call this generative kind of yeah. art applications, take a seed of something and go expand it into a direction that you didn't expect. And it oh, can yeah. teach you something in that process that you can bring back into yourself. Yeah, I mean, oh my God. I mean, how crazy would it be? It's like, okay, <laughs> you like set up this avatar, what have you. And then you kind of mm. just give it some sort of direction. Like, this is like where I'm trying to get to. And then it starts <laughs> to act as like, it's like you coaching yourself like <laughs> towards, I love that. towards this like thing. It's like, it hits you up every day. Like, have you ever thought about this? And it's like, you know what, me, I've never thought about this. But thank you, me, for letting me think about this. Because it, cause it is like, Oh, uh, I'm going to be stuck on this now for, <laughs> for for today. Have you seen this diagram? Do you know the the Tim Urban who writes um was it called wait but why? Um, oh yeah, Tim yeah, Urban. Yeah. Um he he had this great little diagram. I'm going to send you a link that he posted on um Twitter for people listening. It's a diagram that shows how people think about their paths in life as you know having closed all of these doors, mm-hmm. but you're at the beginning of many new doors and many new openings and many paths that are ahead of you still. And I, I love that idea that <laughs> you could just go send like a version of yourself down these different roads and see what happens. <laughs> have you, have you read the um, Ted Chang? It's in exhalation. Yes. It's like anxiety is the dizziness of freedom is the is the short story in exhalation and like essentially the premise is like there are these crystals that they hit with like electromagnets that show like a (laughs) parallel version of yourself so when you start this crystal you're on the same timeline and then it's going to like diverge and so the way that people get addicted to looking into these crystals because they're seeing themselves go down different timelines and like sometimes they're happy because like oh my timeline is better but then sometimes they hate it because like their parallel self like gets like really fucking famous or something and then they're like i hate (laughs) i hate myself i hate you in their crystal and it's like this whole ecosystem of like this addiction of like looking at all of the potential paths that you only have one sense of like going down oh my god it's so good 
I was listening to Exhalation on audiobook and I would put it on as I was falling asleep. Um, mm-hmm. And so some of the earlier stories are really strong in my head. <laughs> some of the later ones, I think I was mostly asleep uh, by the time I heard them. So I got to go back and re-listen to I, I don't remember catching that one. Yeah. So I got to go back and listen to those. It's a good one. It really hits. It, it hits in so many <laughs> in so many ways. Well, Reggie, I think that if we don't stop here, I might go on for another three hours. We'll have to do a part <laughs> two at some point. Yeah, for sure. This is the seed of, of the next conversation. I hope that people check out your Twitter, Hip City Reg, your, what do you call it? Newsletter, blog? Yeah, it's, a, it's a newsletter. It goes into your email. It goes into your email. And, uh, you know, someday when it's ready, they'll be able to log on to Eternal, get their avatar going do something with their identity we'll figure out what that is when the time comes it'll happen but um but you can you can stay up to date by following reggie it's been so great and i really appreciate the just the amount of of nuance that you bring to everything i i i feel like you're one of those people who is challenging me to be more open about my thoughts because i I love seeing yours out there and, and it makes me wonder if i'm just uh if i should be if i should be putting mine out there so I really appreciate about that, uh, that about you. It's, a, it's an inspiration. Oh, I appreciate that. The, the world is ready. The world is ready. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, if you got something useful out of it, I would love to hear what that was. Consider writing a short review, could be just a sentence long, by going to iTunes and searching for Well Made. I want to hear it all. I want to hear good, bad. I want to hear your constructive criticisms. I am just trying to make this show as useful as possible for you. So tell us what you think. That is the very best way that you can support the show. Thanks, and see you next time.